So we're in Third uh, John 2. It says, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So this is not uh, just a letter from one person to another. This is the inspired word of God. Uh, we take it seriously. I know there are many preachers these days who no longer believe that the Bible is an inspired word of God, but we definitely do. And we make it final authority, and we believe that it's God speaking to us. And in verse 2, he says, Beloved, I wish, or in the margin it says, I pray, above all things. Does he say, I pray above some things? Does he say, I pray above many things? No, he says, Beloved, I pray um, above all things. Now, I don't care if you look up the word all in Greek or Hebrew or Chaldean or English or whatever language, all means all. And uh, so... He's indicating here that what he's referring to must be important. What he's about to say must be important. If he has said, I pray above all things, this is important. That thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Now, Bible prosperity doesn't begin in your bank account or your wallet. It begins with the Word of God. That's where it begins. In Ephesians 5.26, you know, it refers to uh, water as a type of the Word. And it says, referring to the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, with the washing of water by the word. So the word is a type of water. Water is a type of the word in the Bible. Everything we receive from God begins with the word. No word, no promise. No promise equals no faith. And no faith equals no receiving. Now, in some Christian circles, they might accuse us of being brainwashed for believing these things. Well, that's exactly what we're doing. We're washing our brain with the Word of God. We're washing and cleansing our brains of wrong teaching, wrong believing, wrong talking that has been passed down from grandparents to parents, teachers, Preachers from one generation to the next. Religious traditions of men, they have been passed down from one pulpit to the next, generation after generation. That's what we're uh, washing away with the Word of God. That's what we're cleansing with the Word of God. Now, I ran across a new translation of the Bible. I, I haven't run across it before. It's called the Legacy Standard Bible. And this verse 
And the Legacy Standard Bible says, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health. In all respects. Because some people will say, well, you know, this prosperity he's talking about, uh, it's not talking about money or material possessions. It's just spiritual prosperity. Well, the Common English Bible says, Dear friend, I'm praying that all is well with you and that you enjoy good health in the same way that you prosper spiritually. So this tells us you cannot separate material and financial prosperity from spiritual prosperity. They are connected. People try to separate them, but you can't. Uh, if this prosperity that he's talking about here, in this verse and all throughout the Bible, if this doesn't include money and material things and having a healthy body, then it's not prosperity in all respects. Uh, the Names of God translation says, Dear friend, I know that you are spiritually well. Now he could have stopped right there. He could, he could have said, I, I, um, I know you're spiritually well and just stopped. He could have said, I know that you are spiritually well and that's good enough. Nothing else matters. Nothing else in this world matters. Uh, you're spiritually well. That's all that's important. No, he didn't stop there. He continued by saying, I pray that you're doing well in every other way and that you're healthy. That you are doing well in every other way and that you are healthy. Now, if this is not the will of God, then it shouldn't be recorded in the Word of God. Old or New Covenant. The Voice Translation says, I pray that everything is going well for you and that your body is as healthy as your soul is prosperous. So you cannot separate the physical and the material realm from the spiritual realm. They're all connected. So if, if someone's, let's say someone's been born again five years, 10 years, 20 years, um, if they're struggling to pay their bills or if they're, they're not making ends meet, everything's not going well for them. Even though they're born again and they're going to heaven, everything is not going well for them. And he said, I pray that everything is going well for you. Uh, if, if people are chronically sick, they may be born again, they may be going to heaven, but everything is not going well for them. So it's not the will of God that people struggle physically or financially. Now, some Christians come back and say, well, being born again is, is more important than having good health or being blessed materially or financially. Well, if you had to make a choice, that's true. If, if we had to make a choice between these things, we would say being born again is the most important and it's the top priority, but we don't have to make a choice. 
Who said we had to choose? And people that say that, where's the scripture for that? What scripture do they have to say that, uh, that you know, one thing is, is more important than the other when nobody has required us to make a choice? How does being sick or poor glorify God? How does, how does it bless them or anybody else? Salvation is not just being born again and going to heaven. It's a big word. It includes preservation, protection, soundness, and wholeness. Spirit, soul, body, materially and financially. That includes what salvation is. But as strange as it may sound, there are some Christians who get really upset and they will fight you for the right to be sick and the right to be poor. And I have personally run into some of them. And it's not a very nice experience <laughs> when you tell them that Jesus uh, took their sicknesses and he took their lack and their poverty on the cross at the same time that he took their sin. Uh, the religious spirits that are sitting on their shoulder start whispering in their ear, throw them out of the house. That's, they, they get very upset because they don't want to hear this. Why? Because the devil doesn't want you well and he doesn't want you rich. Because if he can keep you sick and broke, you're not the threat to him that you could be otherwise. If he can keep you sick and broke, he can stop you from having an impact in the world, and he can stop you from having an impact in the kingdom of God. In Mark 4, one of the things Jesus said that Satan uses to steal the word out of your heart is the deceitfulness of riches. And uh, one aspect of the deceitfulness of riches is that only the sinner can be rich. And this is a very popular doctrine among many Christians is that only sinners can be rich and, and that it's never been God's will for his people to be rich. Uh, is it possible to be wealthy and to love God and to serve God and not to backslide? Of course it is. Uh, Many people uh, are, are doing this on the front line and behind the scenes. There are many wealthy people who are serving God and loving God and not backsliding. Beloved, I pray above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. And he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say how this prospering and being in health takes place. How does this happen? He, he goes on to say, even as thy soul prospereth. So this prospering in everything, in all respects, and being in health, it's according to something. It's according to the prosperity of your soul. The degree that your soul prospers is the degree that we prosper in our health, 
and in our finances and materially. So the way this works is uh, when you put the word of God in your spirit and in your mind, your inner man begins to prosper on that word and your inner man begins to see like God sees. And the word of God uh, affects your physical man with health and it affects your outer man in the material realm with prosperity. So the God kind of prosperity that we're talking about does not begin in your bank account. It begins on the inside with, with uh, renewing your mind, getting rid of these old thought patterns, getting rid of these poverty mindsets, getting rid of poverty talking. Don't make jokes about being broke or poor. Don't make jokes about uh, I can't afford so-and-so. Don't ever say you can't afford something. We'll believe God, amen? We're believing God. Don't ever say, don't ever tell your kids or grandkids that you can't afford something. Say, we're believing God. We'll just put our faith on that, amen? Don't ever make jokes about being sick or, or your, your uh, health. These, these are not things to joke about. As a man thinks in heart, in his heart, so is he. So over a period of time of putting the word in, revelation and light and understanding produced by the word begins to work its way out of your inner man, out into the natural realm, out into your finances, out into your physical body, restoring good health. So it works its way from the inside out. Bible prosperity, which is the only kind that we're talking about, is the result of prospering your spirit and your soul on the word. That's where it begins. Now, when some Christians hear the word prosperity, that's, that's a dirty word to some Christians, and they immediately think about money, uh, because that's what's on their mind. Uh, and when you mention the word prosperity sometime, they stop smiling. <laughs> uh, but money is definitely included in Bible prosperity, but it's not an end in itself. Obviously, it's not an end in itself. The God kind of prosperity is the result of a quality of life commitment, dedication, and action that is in line with God's word. If the word uh, prosperity makes people uncomfortable, just use the word success. Use the word success in place of it if they don't like prosperity. Uh, in our text scripture here in 3 John 2, when he says, I pray above all things that you may prosper, the word prosper means to help on the road. To help on the road. That's what it means in, in the Greek. How does someone being chronically sick or poor help them on the road to success? How does someone being uh, sick or poor help me or anybody else on the road to success. This is not even logical. Uh, when he talks about 
uh, to help on the road, what, what road are we talking about? The road, well, the road to success includes the road to freedom, the road to blessing, the road to surplus, the road to advancing the kingdom of God. The road to reaching more people with the good news. That Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus blesses, and Jesus prospers his people. That's the good news. The God kind of prosperity that the Bible teaches is an ongoing, progressing state of success and well-being. That's what the whole world is looking for, isn't it? Isn't that what the whole world is looking for? An ongoing state of success and well-being? But the problem is they're all looking in the wrong place for it. They're looking for it in, in drugs and, and alcohol and, and uh, gambling and the lottery and, you know, they're looking in all these worldly carnal sex they're looking for it in all these worldly uh, places. And when they come to church looking for this God kind of prosperity, an ongoing state of, of success and well-being that's founded on the Word of God, when, when, when they, some of them do manage to come into church looking for it, Many Christians and preachers will tell them they better stay away from this prosperity and faith stuff. That'll ruin you. And they, they, they tell them if this stuff is extreme and, it, and it's not important to God. Um, well, if it's not important to God, why does God live that way? Why does God live that way? Why does God live one way and tell us his children, that we ought to be living some other way. That is not God. That is not God. When Christians talk that way, it sends the wrong message about the God that we serve. And if you want to give this uh, a title today, you can call it, uh, What God Do We Serve? What kind of God do we serve? Do we serve a rich God or a poor God? Do we serve a prosperity God or a, or a poverty God? So when unbelievers come into the church look, looking for the God kind of prosperity, that it's an ongoing state of, of success and well-being, spiritually starting with the new birth, uh, mentally, getting their mind renewed on the Word of God, physically having a well body, materially and financially. When, the, when they come into the church and they're turned away from it, they go, they go back out into the world looking for it again some other way. Uh, you'll sometimes hear uh, Christians say, well, um, when it comes to that prosperity stuff, you need to be balanced. Now, what do they mean by balanced? They usually mean an equal amount of faith and unbelief. 50% faith, 50% unbelief mixed in with it because, you know, they want to be balanced. 
Well, how balanced is their theology when they limit salvation to only being born again and going to heaven? That's part of salvation, and if you have to choose, that's the most important part. But this is a package deal. We don't have to choose. This is an inclusive package. It includes spirit, soul, body, material, and finances. The problem is, in the last 2,000 years, there has not been a balance of teaching in this area of the Bible. Uh, there has not only been an imbalance where Bible prosperity is concerned, the entire subject has been ignored, it's been neglected, to the devastation of the entire body of Christ and individual believers. This is not a new doctrine, it's a lost doctrine. And God is restoring it to his people in these last days. Now, in order to be born again, you have to know, you have to be convinced from the word of God that it's God's will to save you. That this is where everything we receive from God has a starting point. Number one, you have to know God's will about it. You have to know what God's will is concerning uh, what he's promised. Is it just for some people or is it for everybody? Um, or is it not for any, any, of, any of God's people? So you have to start with knowing the will of God. And faith begins where the will of God is known. And faith stops wherever there is a question mark. If you don't know it's God's will to be saved, you cannot have faith to be saved and born again. And the same principle applies uh, to healing, divine health, and material prosperity. The same principles apply. You have to know God's will in these areas. If you're not sure, if it's God's will for you to be healed, you cannot have faith to receive healing. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. That's where it starts. If you're not sure if it's God's will for you to be blessed financially, to have a surplus of money, to be strong financially, and to be a financial force in the end time harvest, then you can't have faith for it. We, the same principle applies for all of these. So who has the most potential influence in the earth? A rich person or a poor person? You know, why does, why does Disney and, and Coca-Cola, why do they have so much influence in the world? Because they've got money to back it up. And, they got, and it gives them a platform to speak and, and a worldwide platform to have influence. That's why. And this is why the devil wants all the Christians broke and sick. Uh, there's, you know, there's a very popular doctrine in some Christian circles that says, well, we just have to submit to the will of God, whatever he wants. Uh, if he wants me to be healed, I'll be healed. If he wants me to have a lot of money, I'll have it. Whatever the Lord wants, it's just up to him. 
Well, folks, you can die that way, believing that, and you can be poor that way, believing that. That's the problem with that doctrine. That's a problem with that way of thinking. But the same people, don't, they don't use the same logic when it comes to being born again. If you ask them, is it God's will for everybody to be saved, they'll say, of course. Of course it's everybody's will to be born again. But when it comes to these other Bible um, areas of, of redemption and inheritance and what Jesus bought and paid for us to have, they just want to leave it all up to God. You know, they, they don't know the will of God. They're confused about the will of God when it comes to anything else in the Bible, it seems like. So what is the will of God? We don't have to speculate. We already know what he has said. We already know what he has said about it. We're not interested in theological positions. We're not interested in opinions or traditions of men. Uh, Dr. Lester Sumrall once said, I'm not looking to someone else's brain about what I can have or what I can do. And I think that's good advice. Why do we, why do we want to um, entertain somebody else's opinion when we can go to the Word of God and see what God has already said about it? So we're only interested in what God has already said, and that's final authority. Now let's turn over to 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9. Verse 8. And we're going to see here one of the scriptural definitions of Bible prosperity, the God kind of prosperity. Uh, do you think the Apostle Paul knew something about the will of God? I think he did. <laughs> he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He better know something about the will of God. In verse 8 he says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. He's able to make all what? All grace. Now in the past few years there have been there's been a lot of discussion among preachers about grace and what it is and they all have their own definition and their own opinions about what grace is and what it includes. These are several that I've written in the margin of my Bible. Grace is getting the best without deserving it. Grace is God's power to us. Grace is the sum of earthly blessings. Grace is everything Jesus has bought and paid for us to have through his sacrifice on the cross and resurrection from the dead spiritually, mentally, physically, and financially. Every good thing we receive from God is by grace. It, it's the grace of God extended to us. And there are graces in different areas. There's grace for the new birth. There's grace for healing. There's grace for protection. 
There's grace for business, people in the business world. There's grace for being a soldier, being in the military. You've got to have a grace of God to fulfill that. There's grace for a specific calling in life. So what kind of grace is Paul talking about here in 2 Corinthians 9? Well, let's look at the context. In, in chapter 8 before this and chapter 9, both of these chapters in the New Testament are talking about money. The context he's referring to here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is money. He's writing to believers about collecting a money offering. And in these two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, talking about money and finances, he uses the word grace seven times. Seven times he uses the word grace when talking about money and finances. So the kind of grace he's talking about here is the grace to prosper financially. We have a grace to prosper financially. And he goes on to say, God is able to make all grace abound uh, toward you. That ye always have an all sufficiency in all things. That you always have an all sufficiency in all things. Every week, every month, not just once in a while. Why? That you may abound. Having all sufficiency in all things that you may abound. This is a scriptural definition of prosperity. Having all sufficiency in all things that you may abound to every good work. This is God's definition of prosperity and it's God's will for every believer. Now, if you're not there yet, don't give up and quit. I'm, I'm telling you, stay with it. It will happen. It will happen. And, and some, you know, some uh, people listening to me, you may have already sown lots of seed in the past. And maybe you just didn't have the word quickened to you to activate your faith. So, so now you're hearing the word, and, and don't give up. Go back and... and uh, Water those seed and call, call the harvest in on all those seed that have never come up yet. Stay with it because it takes some time for this to work from the inside out. And I can, I'm personal, uh, personal witness to that. It, it takes some time for it to show up. But when it starts showing up, I'm telling you, you will be happy. You will be glad that you didn't give up. Uh, having a surplus... This is abounding. This is always having all sufficiency, is having a surplus. The God we deserve, the God we serve, desires that we have abounding ability. He desires that we always have all sufficiency in all things. 
So financial prosperity is not a dollar amount. It's not a pound or a euro amount. Because at what point, at what number would you draw the line and say X amount of money is prosperous? Where, where are you going to draw the line? You know, for a homeless person, 10 pounds would be <laughs> prosperous. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, what would you say? 100,000? 500,000? A million? Well, a million pounds or euros or dollars, that may sound like a lot of money. But what if you need 3 million? See? If you need three million and you've only got a million, you're still in lack. So, so prosperity is not a, a, a money amount. Uh, it's relative to what God has called you to do. So this verse is defining for us what Bible prosperity is. Uh, in the Passion Translation, it says, Yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything. Amen. More than enough of everything. More than enough. Now, now, there's a footnote there in the Passion Translation, and it says uh, the Greek word Paul uses here, talking about, you know, more than enough of everything, uh, it says it, it's found in classical Greek and it means independently wealthy, needing nothing. Independently wealthy, needing nothing. And that doesn't mean we don't need God anymore. <laughs> it, doesn't mean we don't it doesn't mean we don't need God. We got so much money we don't need God. That is not what it means. It means you're not dependent on somebody else. You're not dependent on another person. You're not dependent on your family. You're not dependent on the government. You're not dependent on the bank. Um, uh, God is our source. And it even gives a, a reference here to a, to a secular writing in Greek where this, where this word is used. So it was used in, in the Greek, classical Greek of that time. So this includes money and anything else that's required to meet the need. Uh, it goes on in the Passion Translation to say, every moment and in every way, he will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. This is the God we serve, a God of always having all sufficiency, a God of abundance, a God of more than enough, a God who desires us to be abounding and every good work. This is our inheritance now in this lifetime. If you were to go to any pastor or minister anywhere in the world, and if you were, and I'm talking about a pastor or a minister who really has a vision from God. I don't mean somebody who's just a paid religious person who's paid to get up and, you know, on Sunday and say something. I'm talking about a minister who really has a, a God-given vision, if you ask them what is the one thing that is keeping you from fulfilling that vision, I can guarantee you every single one of them would answer with one word, money. 
Money is the number one thing they would say that's stopping them from fulfilling the vision that God has given them. Because there's no shortage of Bibles. There's no shortage of uh, preachers and missionaries. There's no shortage of churches. We've all got access to that. Most people in the world do. Money it would be the number one thing that, that virtually every minister would say, that's the number one thing that's keeping me from fulfilling what God's called me to do. Um, we won't turn there, but write down the scripture. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 19. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 19. It says, a feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. Now, you don't hear many sermons on that verse, do you? Has anybody ever heard a sermon on that verse? I never have. What does that mean? Money answereth all things. It means that having money gives you options. Having money gives you options that poor people and poor churches do not have. Let's say if you, um, if you have the money to go pay cash for a new car, which is, a, is that a better option or going to the bank and borrowing the money? Which is the best option? That's a no-brainer. So, so having money and a surplus of money it gives you options yeah. and it gives you influence in this world that other people don't have. How do I know that? Write down this, this verse, Ecclesiastes 9.16. This is how we know that money gives you influence and, and ability in the earth. Ecclesiastes 9.16 says, Then said I, Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. That's Ecclesiastes 9.16. 9.16, Ecclesiastes. Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. So we know that, that having uh, material and financial blessing empowers us. Oh, it empowers us. Yeah, um, if you have all sufficiency in all things, then it's not an option to have to go to the bank and, and beg for money. That's not an option. No, not so can you see what an advantage this is? What an advantage that we have. What if every believer in every country was walking in this more than enough abounding ability? There would not be one need in any church or any ministry that was not met. People would just say, Pastor, what do you need? I'll, I'll pay for it. Barb, what do you need? Just, just give me a list. I'll pay for it. We'll get it done this week. That, that's what would happen. You wouldn't have churches and ministries 
being threatened with closure by banks because they owe them money. And that has happened. That has happened where banks have threatened to close churches and in some cases probably have because they, they called in the loan and the church didn't have the, the money to pay for it. Uh, so this kind of God prosperity, the God kind of prosperity, for many Christians, unfortunately, the devil has sown seeds of poverty and religious tradition and doubt and skepticism and cynicism and pessimism about the kind of God that we serve. And he's caused, he's caused confusion about the kind of God that we serve. And it has robbed millions of people from receiving God's best for their lives. Uh, now many Christians uh, believe, well, uh, it, it's not God's will for everybody to be rich, not for every believer to be rich. Maybe it's okay for you, but not everybody. Um, well, where's the scripture for that? You know, we, we got to have some scripture. We, we, we're not interested in people's opinions. Their opinions don't, don't count. Uh, not when God has already told us what to believe. So what kind of God do we serve? Is he a prosperity God or a poverty God? How do we know it's his will for his people to be abundantly blessed? Spirit, soul, body, and financially. How do we know? I think I'm going to stop right there, and we're going to take this up next time, okay? Uh, yes. I've, I've got some more to say here, but, but I think this is a good place to stop. So I'm going to, I'm just, going to leave a... Yeah, I, I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger. I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger here, okay? Yes, you're right. All right.